welcome to episode 5 of We Don't Talk About P-Word. I'm releasing this week's episode a little early because I'm dedicating it to election day. I want to give everyone plenty of time to listen to it before it is time to cast your vote. So, let's get into it. Over the last few episodes, I've provided you a taste of who I am and a frank overview of the current state of politics. I have also provided historical context for what we learned in school about our founding. During that time, I hope that I've shared at least a few things that you didn't know beforehand. The reason for these opening episodes has been threefold. First, I recognize that most of you aren't as obsessed with history and politics as I am. Few people are. The things we learned in grade school are often forgotten as we get older, if the facts were ever taught at all. So for many, the review may have been useful. Even if you do remember, you may not have ever thought about the intent behind these documents. In school, we are taught what they say, but not necessarily what they mean. Schools present the corporate political agenda as provided by expensive and are outdated textbooks. They rarely encourage us to consider the broader intent. Even if you don't agree with my interpretations, my goal was to make you think. I hope that I've made you consider that there's more to these documents than we were taught. I also hope that I have made you contemplate the propaganda spread by our ruling elites. I implore you, don't only contemplate the propaganda, but also the reason why those that spread it do so. Second, I wanted to highlight an unhealthy relationship. This relationship is between our political parties and corporate interests. These two have the people caught in a love triangle we can't escape, while they work together to further the corporate political agenda. I want to draw attention to the money that corporate elites pour into political parties. They maintain control by keeping the barriers to political office prohibitively expensive. I want to emphasize that political parties are the political arm of corporate elites. They are not the political arm of the people. That is a misconception. The people are in this alone. This is why we see the revolving door of politics to lobbying and lobbying to politics. It's a never-ending cycle of corruption. Third, I want to end an argument before it begins, because I can hear it already. This guy is nothing more than a Democrat in disguise. Look at his beliefs. He is such a liberal. If you mean I believe in liberal democracy, then you are correct. I'm realizing I may need to pause here for a second to explain what that means. Let's explore the difference between liberal and illiberal democracy. A liberal democracy is a system that emphasizes the unalienable rights of the people. Under this form of government, there is a separation of powers with checks and balances. It also must include a viable multi-party system with at least two functional parties. An illiberal democracy is a system where the people's rights are bestowed. This means that the government may also take them away. Elections are typically manipulated or rigged to lessen the voice of the minority. The leaders of these types of government are usually authoritarian in nature. One of my favorite political analysts has spoken and written on this at length. If you're interested in reading his work, check him out at www.fareedzakaria.com. Now, back to our chat. If you mean that I subscribe to the views of the Democrat Party, then no. I have only ever registered with one party, and that was the Republican Party when I turned 18. 
Currently, I am not registered with either party. I have voted Democrat. I have, of course, voted Republican. But as I said in episode one, I despise both political parties. I stand by that statement. Some of my beliefs occasionally align with one party or the other. I am confident that as our chats go on, you will see that I believe in controversial stances on both sides of the aisle. I also am not a centrist or a moderate. No one belongs in the center. There is no right side or left side. You are either for the rights of the people or you are for the corporate political agenda. If you try to straddle the line, then you are only helping the corporate and political elites. I would rarely say this on any issue. Most topics have nuance. There is rarely an issue that has absolute and definitive sides. But when it comes to politics, this is absolutely the truth. You are either for the people or you aren't. There can be no in-between. Even though I have called myself an independent, I wouldn't really consider myself that either. An independent is someone with no conviction one way or the other. They are as likely to vote Democrat as they are Republican. It all depends on the spin the candidates put on their words. As I said before, you must take an educated stand. The reason I have called myself an independent is that I commit to voting for the lesser of two evils. Over the past few years, that has meant voting Democrat. It's not because I trust what they say or believe they are the answer to our troubles. Hell, I don't even like most of their candidates as people, let alone politicians. I vote for them because their candidates aren't threatening our democracy. I vote for them because they aren't taking rights away from any Americans. I vote for them because they have taken a stand against the attempt to stop the transfer of power in our nation. I vote for them because they do not spread lies of widespread voter fraud. I do not believe in either of our two major political parties. I believe in America. I believe in the greatness of our nation. I believe that America is and should always be a bastion of liberty. I believe in our strength through diversity. But I know that the world loves its labels. So, if you must label me, I guess you can call me a founding constitutionalist. Let me explain what I mean by that. First, the Constitution is the very foundation of my political philosophy as I believe it should be for every American. I trust in the aspirational nature of our founding document. I recognize our Constitution as one of the best governing documents ever written. I know that at its time, it was the best the people anywhere could hope for. As the nation matured, the Constitution would as well. The nation would be guided by its people to improve their own safety and happiness is what makes it great. Second, I trust the Founders' vision for our nation. Our Founders recognized their place in history and the solemn duty they undertook. This is clear in their letters, notes, and personal papers. Despite their many flaws, and yes, they had many, they had an uncanny grasp of government and politics. They had a far greater understanding than any of us today. They saw the future of government clearly. They saw what it could be, if not necessarily what it would be. 
they recognized and understood their own hypocrisies. They also saw a future where those prejudices would no longer be in the driver's seat. To understand the nation we inherited, we must seek to understand our founders' intent. It saddens me to know that if they could see us today, they would be very disappointed. So far, we have not earned the right to our founders' vision. Many might think I align with the legal originalism theory. It claims the Constitution should only be interpreted in its original written intent. I do not believe in originalism. In fact, originalism is more propaganda espoused by the corporate political agenda. Originalism is contrary to the very point of the Constitution. The Constitution was always meant to be alive. It was to evolve in meaning and in rights. Otherwise, why include an amendment process at all? We must always interpret the Constitution in a modern context. That can mean today or a hundred years from now. We must examine the Constitution through the lens of modern circumstances and technology. This is why amendments are so important. The hypocrisy is that originalism isn't even original. As I pointed out, I'm sure to your annoyance, in episode 3, the Constitution had no amendments when ratified. There were no specific rights outlined for two years. This means there is only one acceptable originalist view. All rights are inherent to the people and none may ever be infringed. If you know originalists, you know that's not what they believe. In fact, originalism is not only hypocritical but partisan in nature. Its only goal is to support those rights that further their partisan views. Originalism is an outdated theory. It needs to become part of history, like trickle-down economics and systemic racism. Our government must refocus on the health and happiness of the people. All the people. That is what I believe in. I am a founding constitutionalist. The policies that I support are in line with this philosophy. Sure, some may align with both political parties at different times, but it is important to point out that my politics are not based on any one party's political dogma. I spent the last few episodes explaining my interpretations for this very reason. I want you to understand what I base my political tendencies on. If I didn't provide you with a baseline, you could never trust the motives of what I say. I base my political philosophy on my own study of our founding documents and the men who authored them. When I espouse specific views, I want you to understand the foundation for those views. I base them on the political theory I outlined in the first few episodes, and not on a particular party's doctrine. This is how I vote. I realize this was a roundabout way to get to the point of today's episode. As I have said from the beginning, I don't want you to blindly accept what I say. I do want you to understand that what I say is both well thought out and for a reason. Today, that reason is voting. This week, we go to the polls. At least, I hope that you will all go to the polls. Otherwise, I'm not achieving any of my goals with this podcast. Before I talk about the importance of voting, I want to do something you will rarely hear me do. Today, 
I want to briefly draw a contrast between our two major parties. In most episodes, I will speak about them in broad strokes. In that light, I stand by my point that they are different sides of the same coin. But, as I stated in our current political system, too often you must pick the lesser of two evils. For me, that is typically the candidate put forward by the Democrats. I say this not to tell you who to vote for, but as a precursor to explain why I vote the way I do. I know it may be cliche to say, but I didn't leave the Republican Party. The Republican Party left me. The current Republican Party is in crisis mode. There are two factions vying for control of a party that no longer disguises its intention. It has fully embraced its dedication to the corporate political agenda. One side is what I refer to as the GOP faction, led by Senator McConnell. The other is the MAGA faction, which is currently led by the 45th president. The GOP faction hopes to return to the status quo. They want to go back to passing pro-business legislation. They want to continue to pervert religion for their own benefit. This faction hands out tax cuts for the wealthy, like candy. These cuts offer working Americans a few hundred dollars, but the wealthy millions. They provide working Americans crumbs while they serve the wealthy cake. Something about that seems backward, but maybe that's just me. This faction is also responsible for the major politicization of the judiciary. They refused to do their duty while the 44th president was in office. McConnell waited and packed the courts with partisan, pro-Republican judges. These appointments, according to the Constitution, were not theirs to fill. All the while, the members of their party ignored their unethical behavior. Worse than that, they applauded it. McConnell and his cronies use religion as a weapon. It is a way to encourage the religious right to accept their unethical actions. This is all so they can appoint judges antithetical to American values. These judges impose religious beliefs on a nation based on the freedom of religion. It is important for us to reflect on their willingness to take an individual right away. What else are they willing to take away? The MAGA faction is the militant, authoritarian arm of the Republican Party. The two sides don't get along, but they both want something from the other. The GOP needs MAGA's voters, and MAGA wants the GOP's legitimacy. The GOP sect hopes to exploit the power of the MAGA sect. That is why the GOP rarely speaks out against them. The MAGA faction hopes to convince the country of widespread voter fraud. They want us to believe that elections aren't fair and that the Republicans are being picked on. This isn't true, as I pointed out in episode 4. Since 1857, Republicans have controlled the government three years longer than Democrats. The propaganda never adds up if you are willing to look at the facts. But, that's what the MAGA sack does best. It exploits working Americans. Americans who would never accept taking from the working class to give to the wealthy. Working Americans who are fed up with busting their ass and getting nowhere. The MAGA sect exploits the inaction they themselves are responsible for. They misdirect their voters' hatred toward our government instead of our politicians. 
They use propaganda to manipulate the people to their will. They know full well that they will be voting against their own interests. It isn't the government that's the problem. It is the lack of legislation from our political elites that doom us to hunger, poverty, and poor health. The MAGA movement is not a friend to working Americans. They are using us. They poison our minds to exploit our passions. They want to use working Americans to seize authoritarian control of our government. When they do, they will be done with us. Sadly, the GOP faction has forgotten history. You cannot harness the power of the militant authoritarian arm of politics. They cannot be controlled, and they cannot be contained. You must embrace it, reject it, or it consumes you. The philosopher George Santayana once wrote, Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Many have refused to admit the parallels, but get your pitchforks ready because I'm about to call it out. The rise of the Nazi party in Germany followed a similar trajectory to the MAGA faction. The country was roiled by financial insecurity like most of the world today. Inflation was on the rise. Its leaders demonized minorities and immigrants instead of business elites. Hitler claimed to champion the working man. Instead, he embraced corporate interests behind the scenes. Hitler supported violence and encouraged its use to achieve his goals. He blamed the government instead of the politics that controlled it. I'm sure, as I've promised before, that I've just upset some people. Remember, facts aren't meant to make you feel good. If you can't see the parallels, then you are just lying to yourself. But, I wouldn't be me if I didn't make the other side mad, too. The Democrats are almost as bad, if not as obvious. Democrats want to claim that they have all the answers. But in their years of complete control, very little work for the people has been achieved. Even the efforts of Roosevelt bear the taint of systemic racism to this day. I can hear Democrats saying now, it's because of Republican obstruction. But in the last two years, they've had two senators that weren't even reading the same book, let alone on the same page. If you can't get your own party on board with your agenda, can your ideas be that good? Now, I can't lie. The obstruction by Republicans has played a major role in the lack of, as well as some bad, legislation. The Democrats usually go too far, and when they do, it's easy for the Republicans to attack them. It gives Republicans actual legitimate talking points to demonize them. This is why I call the Democratic Party the party of condescension. They believe they are smarter than they are. They speak down to working Americans as though we don't understand what is going on in our own lives. When you do that, it is no wonder that you are hated by many working Americans. Democrats do a terrible job at explaining the why. They speak to us like a parent, because I said so. Instead, they should be sympathizing with opposing viewpoints and trying to reconcile them. Rural Americans believe Democrats only favor big cities. Whether it is true or not is irrelevant. Perception is reality. Democrats don't attempt to understand rural life. A party started by farmers has left its people behind. It has become too aristocratic for those it claims to represent. Take the gun debate. 
it means something very different in the urban areas than it does in rural areas. But as we have seen, massacres happen in both. The fact is that we must find an answer. The bottom line is that we are a nation of guns. There is no changing that without a movement that just doesn't exist. But doing nothing is also not an option. What Democrats must realize is that taking guns away isn't either. The Democrats refuse to work within the system we have. They want to whine about why it's broken. They want to complain about the people who vote against them, but never address why they do. Too many vocal Democrats also look down on religion. As I have said before, there should be a separation of church and state. We cannot base laws on religious beliefs in a free society. But many Democrats take it too far. They call religious people ignorant. They use them as the butt of jokes. It's no wonder that the religious in the country ignore the unethical practices of the right. There is such an open disdain for religion from the left. This makes it easy for Republicans to claim a Democratic campaign against religion. Democrats must learn to sympathize with all their constituents. They must learn to listen instead of lecture. Until Democrats see that there is more than their way to get things done, they will always be the weaker party. Even if you are the smartest person in the room, and I say that with a heavy emphasis on if, no one likes an insufferable know-it-all. Don't get me wrong. I am not saying that there aren't Republicans who support the people. I am also not saying there aren't Democrats who want to understand the people. I am saying that like the few bad cops who make the whole profession look bad, there is a rot in the barrel. Unfortunately, I am also saying it's much more than a few. This is why it is imperative that you do your research and understand the candidates you cast a vote for. Always cast an educated vote. Remember, an educated vote is a vote cast to benefit the people. An uneducated vote, or a lack of vote, supports the corporate political agenda. That brings me back to the point of this chat. I wanted to discuss voting and the lesser of two evils. Both parties act on behalf of corporate interests to keep getting elected but only one is trying to dismantle what it means to be America. Only one threatens our democratic institutions. Only one supports or ignores acts of violence to further their agenda. Only one lies about the security of our elections. At the very least, the Democratic Party isn't trying to thwart the will of the people. They may let corporate elites maintain power behind the scenes, but they aren't supporting violence and authoritarian leaders. Sadly, right now, that is the best we can hope for. Before you try to claim I said there is never voter fraud, that is not what I am saying. There is. It happens. The propaganda comes when they try to convince you it is much more pervasive than it is. Our voting systems are secure. It would be hard to create enough voter fraud to sway an election. Part of this is because of the decentralized nature of how we vote. In 2020, over 100 million votes were cast across all 50 states and D.C. 
a few hundred or even a few thousand fraudulent votes are statistically insignificant. What do I mean by statistically insignificant? Any fraudulent votes achieved would be spread across the country. Without a significant amount of fraud in a single state, voter fraud could not affect a national election. Yes, we should absolutely strive toward the point where there is no fraud. But I challenge you to ask a computer programmer if there are any unhackable systems. Like an unsinkable ship, you are painting a target on your back. The point is to ensure any fraud is insignificant. In the United States, we have done an excellent job at this. This is one of the biggest benefits of our decentralized voting system. In 2020, there were fewer than 475 cases of potential voter fraud in the six closest states. Propaganda rarely cooperates with facts. I know that we have only been together now for a few short weeks. In that small window, I hope that you know I have done my best to be straight with you. I like to believe that I have given you no reason to doubt my integrity or my motives. I hope it is obvious that it is not my desire to mislead you. I hope that you realize that I pursue no political agenda other than that of the people. I will not claim to be a neutral observer. That I am not. I believe in America. I believe in its systems, and I believe in its people. My desire is to safeguard and encourage understanding of American democracy. For me, there is nothing more important. Having said this, I hope that you will consider what I have said this week of all weeks. Tuesday is the most solemn day in American politics. I hope you will consider your role in politics as Election Day dawns. Please keep this in mind as you contemplate your vote. There is no civic duty more important than voting. It's not only casting a vote, but casting an informed vote. Every two to four years, your government tasks you with providing it a score. It asks you to evaluate candidates and cast a vote that affects your safety and happiness. This is our chance to alter our government. This is our chance to say this candidate promotes the general welfare. This is our opportunity to remind our representatives where the power resides. Voting is your right. It is a privilege that not all citizens of the world enjoy. It is also a responsibility, and a grave one at that. It is a responsibility and a debt owed to those who have fought and died for your right to do so. As Election Day dawns, do not let it pass before you honor the sacrifices of those who came before. As I said when we began today, I am not trying to tell you how to vote. Like I have said from the beginning, I want you to contemplate your role in the political process. I want you to consider the repercussions of your actions or lack of actions on our political system. I want you to understand your impact on the government we delegate our power to. If you want to enjoy the nation we were promised, it is your responsibility and your debt to cast a vote. We the people are the power. Thank you for joining me on episode 5 of We Don't Talk About P-Word. Please head over to www.talkpword.com and subscribe. Also like, follow, and share on Twitter and Facebook. Any questions or comments you can direct to talkpword at gmail.com. I hope you'll join me next week as I give you a little taste of solutions. Until next time, 
qui custodiet ipsos custores, populus facere. <laughs>